Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. Now we are all that remains, though we are always looking for men and women capable of restoring what has been lost. In return, we offer this, our refuge from the world above. Please take your time and look around. Our assets have made great efforts to restore this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Welcome back, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. Isolated from the bunker, the Colonel faces difficult choices and few options as her world has been turned upside down. Vinnie Costas sets its sights on Appalachia's rarest cryptid, while Lilith and Shadow cross swords, an unstoppable force meeting the immovable object over the fate of our star-crossed astronaut. Team Cryptid descends into the depths of the Monongah Mine, not knowing what horrors they might find lurking in the darkness and Trader Red comes face to face with the cult of the Mothman. The final tales of post-war Appalachia are just beginning to be told, and our characters have hard roads ahead. Valeria clicked off her radio and felt a wave of exhaustion bubble up. The last few days had shattered her concept of what her future might hold. As bad as she had felt after the Battle of the Bog, she could at least take some comfort in the fact that they had won. Valeria recalled breaking down in Stein's arms as he comforted her and finally managed to give her the strength she needed to be the colonel, to make the hard decisions and accept the consequences. This was different. Valeria slumped back in the easy chair and tried to hold back the tears. She had lost so much, perhaps everything, and now, with her world crumbling down around her, Valeria is faced with a new catastrophic threat far beyond what she could even begin to conceive. Are you okay, Valeria? You look like you might need a bit more tea. I don't think tea is going to fix this, but sure. Frederick put a fresh cup of tea into Valeria's hands and patted her on the shoulder before sitting down in the chair opposite her. You know, you remind me so much of my wife. Even in the face of the most dire circumstances, she tried to do the right thing. I miss her so much. What happened to her? Our daughter Olivia. She lost her way. Shadow couldn't see how she changed. Or maybe she just didn't want to see. I was blind to it as well. But a long time ago I promised myself I would never close my eyes to the truth ever again. Why does it have to be so hard? I asked myself that question, and I'm afraid I don't have the answer. After everything that has happened, it may not be fair to ask you to help us, but we don't have any other choice. Hilarious sipped her tea and tried to pull herself back together. She still remembered everything her parents had taught her about sacrifice, about never giving up, and making the hard choices that no one else could. But for the first time, those words rang hollow. What I've shown you is just the tip of the iceberg. If this cancer is allowed to spread, not only will Appalachia be doomed, but no one will be safe. Anywhere. 
Their goal is nothing short of global domination, and they may now have the means to achieve it. Frederick, I need to get back to the White Spring, and we've lost so many of our people. Do you have any idea why our radios aren't working? I believe the Pact is responsible. My friends have found what I can only assume are radio jamming devices, utilizing an ultrasight power source. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to come up with any way to break through their interference. Then we're blind, deaf, and mute. There is always hope, Colonel. Hope doesn't build power armor or plasma cartridges, so you can add outnumbered, outgunned, and outmatched. Perhaps, but we are not completely without resources. My friends do have means of communication that cannot be jammed or interfered with. Over the years, they've installed simple telegraph lines through the tunnel system. It does allow us a means to stay in contact, though not quite as efficient as you may be used to. Can they contact Foundation for us? Foundation? Why? Some of my people, and some civilians, managed to escape Emmett Mountain. They may have gone in that direction, and I wanted to make sure they were okay. I'm not sure. I've never tried communicating with the settlers. I suspect my friends would be shot on sight. Not necessarily. We have certain codes we use. I know we can't transmit over any appreciable distance, but if they could get close, they could send a message. If my people were there, they would understand and respond. And if not? Frederick couldn't help but notice Valeria's pained expression. Uh, you're not worried about the people under your command, are you? I don't know what you mean. I believe you might be worried about someone in particular. I... I thought as much. There's a certain look about you. And I was young once, too. We fight for the ones we love. Even if they aren't always with us. When my parents died, I thought I'd always be alone. The mission always came first. It's been hard. So hard. The loss, the pain. I keep telling myself it's all part of what I need to do. That our goal is more important than any individual. Even me. But having someone. Someone I love. I don't know if I could stand losing them. I'm pretty sure I couldn't. That's how we got into this mess. Because for the first time, my priorities feel split. Appalachia is full of stories of tragedy, Colonel. And your goal, stability, prosperity, those aren't ends, those are means to what we're really fighting for. For people to have a chance for lives full of promise, of love, even if we don't. We've all lost so much, but that doesn't mean we stop fighting. If we do that, we will lose everything anyway. The old man's words slipped past Valeria's weakened defenses and put another crack in her worldview. She'd been so focused on the mission, she hadn't thought as much as to why the mission mattered. She fought through her conflicting emotions and knew Frederick was right. Every time she had been knocked down, she had always gotten back up again. There would be a time for tears, time to grieve. But if Appalachia was going to have a future anyone would want to be a part of, right now she had to be the colonel. Valeria steeled herself and put down the tea. <clears throat> the super mutants are blocking the roads back to the White Spring. Is there another way we can get there? Frederick smiled. The Pact aren't the only ones who have been tunneling under Appalachia, Colonel. While it's not quite a straight line, we got a back door into the old Blackwater Mine. The Blackwater Mine? 
That's just outside the White Spring. We investigated that area thoroughly two years ago. We never found any tunnels. The mine is partially flooded. It was easy to dig into the inaccessible portion and establish a small outpost. We've been using it to observe the resort as well as keep an eye on any other packed activity in the area. So you've been right there, under our noses? We aren't the only ones, like I said. The Pact has been expanding their operations under Appalachia for years. But our first priority is to get you home. Thank you, Frederick. We need to regroup. If this threat is truly as great as you've described, and from what I've seen, I have no reason to doubt it is, we can't fight the Pact alone. But without communications, it will be hard to reach the other factions. We will see what we can do. Our tunnels are at your disposal. Here. What's this? This holotape contains everything we've learned about the Pact, along with a map of some of our tunnels, including access points. You can also use the Blackwater Mine outpost as a way to reach us. We must hurry. I don't know how much more time we have. Valeria put the holotape into her pouch and took Frederick's hand. Her brain was going a mile a minute, trying to reconcile everything she'd learned and seen, but there was also a creeping feeling of exhaustion. She had gotten very little sleep over the past three days, and the adrenaline which had kept her going was ebbing away, leaving her on the ragged edge. She steadied herself and stood up straight, taking her gas mask before exiting the structure. The remnants of her task force, led by Sergeant Blaine, were waiting outside. Colonel, everyone's here. Very good, Sergeant. The Colonel looked over the survivors. Bitter and Sullivan were still bickering over who lost the last hand with the mole miners, while Graham was letting Charlie drink from an old bucket, with Samantha by his side. The others were gathered around, waiting for whatever grand pronouncement she had to give them. Valeria couldn't tell them the whole story, not yet. Not until she had a real plan for dealing with what would come next. We're heading back to the White Spring. Our new friends here have a way for us to travel without having to deal with the super mutants. Well, let me guess. Underground. Well, it's kind of obvious, wasn't it? Don't steal my thunder, Bitter. How dare you? Enough. But yes. We'll be taking one of their tunnels, which will allow us to exit very close to the resort. Better yet, once we get close enough, we should be able to contact our people via our radios, so they'll be expecting us. Uh, me come to Valia? Me never been to big hotel before. You can come too, Graham, but let me explain things to our members first. Ah, <laughs> me understand. Graham may look scary. But me only want trade. And you're a hero, Graham. We owe you for saving our people. Me wish could have done more. Not good time to be human in Appalachia. Ain't that the truth, big guy. But like the colonel said, we owe you. I owe you. Ah, Sam. You nice human. Me glad you no die. The exchange brought a small smile to the colonel's face. Her perspective on the world had shifted. And if people could just figure out how to get along with each other, maybe they did have a chance. What do we do after we get back, Colonel? We need a plan. I'll talk to Modus and Major Stein. The super mutants aren't the real problem. There is something deeper, darker, we need to deal with. Wait, worse than those smart super mutants and the behemoths? Much worse. And if we're going to win this fight, we need allies and information. Yes, ma'am. The door behind the colonel opened, and Frederick Rivers stepped outside. He was wearing his small miner cloak and mask. My friends will guide you through the tunnels. They prepared extra provisions 
and they can supply you with ammunition for your weapons once you're beyond the settlement. You won't need your gas masks, though I would keep them handy just in case Ultrasight is extremely volatile and unpredictable. Sometimes the digging can cause eruptions of radiation in otherwise safe areas. Thank you for the warning, Frederick. As soon as we regroup at the White Spring and examine your data, we can start planning the next steps. If what you've shown me is just the beginning, we have a very hard fight ahead of us. Colonel, I do wish we met under better circumstances. Frederick extended his hand, and the two shook before the Colonel stepped down and walked over to Sergeant Blaine. Time is of the essence, Sergeant. Let's get everything we need from the mole miners and get moving. Yes, ma'am. Everyone's anxious to get home. Home is where heart is. That's what they say. Valeria just shook her head as the big super mutant patted his Brahmin on both of its heads with a big smile on his face. Despite everything, the big green guy was ever the optimist. The colonel wondered who he might have been before being exposed to FEB. She pushed those thoughts aside as questions for some other day. A group of mole miners appeared, each carrying packs and boxes brimming with ammunition, grenades, preserved food, and purified water. After distributing the items to the survivors, one of the miners shambled up to the colonel and said something. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Colonel, she's introducing herself. Oh, who is she? This is Mermagur. I know it's a mouthful. I've taken to calling her the purveyor. She is one of the leaders down here, and is quite good at salvaging all types of weapons and armor. She will be leading you to the Blackwater Mine. Well, Merg... Mm, uh, Miss Purveyor, it's a pleasure to meet you as well. The mole miner leader just looked Valeria up and down before nodding and shambling back over to her mole miner compatriots. She likes you. How can you tell? I just can't. After all these years, not only do I understand their language, but I understand them too. She's one of the oldest of the mole miners. She was also one of the first to escape from the pact. Based on what you've said, that's quite the accomplishment. All right, everyone. We'll be following these mole miners. Keep a sharp watch out and stay together. Frederick watched as the colonel and her survivors finished their preparations and finally left, heading down one of their transit tunnels to the south. The one called Sergeant Blaine, along with the purveyor, led the way, while the others followed. Frederick heard footsteps behind him. It was one of the other leaders of the free mole miner resistance. I know, but we don't have a choice. Foundation, yes. It was part of our agreement. I was planning on going by myself. Yes, I recognize how dangerous it is. However, I promised her. And if I'm going to trust her, she has to be able to trust us too. I will, old friend. We need all the help we can get. I only pray we aren't too late. Frederick returned to his home to gather what he'd need for the trip underground to Foundation, while the mole miners returned to their daily routines. As they did so, they were being watched by another pair of eyes. Camouflaged against the cavern wall, Gray Nine carefully examined the Delta settlement, noting areas of interest and targets for the pacification teams. Gray Nine to command. Go ahead, Gray Nine. We've located the survivors and found quite a nest of Deltas as well. Excellent. Relay their coordinates. 
We will send a pacification team to deal with the Deltas. What is the status of the survivors? Heading south through an access tunnel. Get ahead of them. Use transit point H-35. Isolate and secure the target. Uninjured if you can. And the rest? Eliminate anyone who gets in your way. Over and out. Turning off his comlink, Gray-9 drops softly to the cavern floor. His covert scout armor changed color to match its new surroundings, rendering him nearly invisible once again. Behind him, the rest of his team quickly followed, moving silently around the outskirts of the Delta infestation. At any other time, they would have relished eliminating the rebellious vermin, but they had much bigger fish to fry. Gray-9 relayed their orders through a series of hand gestures. Like a well-oiled machine, the Gray operatives acknowledged and disappeared down another side tunnel. Their leader took one last look at the settlement, imagining the carnage the pacification teams would inflict on the unsuspecting rebels. He smiled briefly under his covert mask, then turned his mind back to his target. The survivors would surely be tired, harried, and prone to making mistakes. They wouldn't stand a chance against his team. The west end of the Big Bend Tunnel was busier than usual, but instead of caravans, there was a steady stream of refugees looking to pass through the tunnel on their way out of Appalachia. The Blue Ridge Caravan was more than willing to help them all, for a price. Ah, I smell caps in the air. Oh, caps? All I smell is Brahmin manure. That's your problem, Ares. No vision. Uh, I can see just fine, Vinny. And that light at the end of the tunnel? It's a goddamn big green freight train, ready to run right over us. Vinny <laughs> Casas just laughed as Ares shook his head in disgust and walked back over to the Brahmin pens. People might be running scared from supermutants, but Vinny was feeling lighter than air. Not only had he managed to make a small fortune providing guns to the splintered remnants of the Blood Eagles, but his other business arrangements had paid him enough in gold to start thinking about bigger and better things like taking over the entire caravan for himself. Joanna and I got a lot to talk about when she steps by. She'll sell, whether she likes it or not. He and Joanna Mayfield went way back to before the war. He'd been her right hand for ages now, and that used to be enough. But now, you didn't need to be a weatherman to know which way the wind was blowing. As Vinny watched the line of refugees start moving into the tunnel, he caught sight of a familiar face. An old friend he'd call in for a special assignment. A friend who was currently being interrogated by one of his best caravan guards. Hey, what do you think you're doing? We don't allow raiders in here. We're not raiders, doll. We're hunters. You sure as hell look like raiders to me. If you're here to cause trouble... Libby! It's fine. They're with me. Of course they are. Vinny, been too long. How you been, you son of a bitch? Ah, same old, same old. Season the day and all that nonsense. Been a wild ride, I swear. We spent the last three days dodging super mutants to get here. Unfortunately, your messenger didn't make it. Sucks to be the slowest when you got a mutant hound on your tail. Eh, them's the brakes, I guess. But you're here now. Come on, 
Let's go to my office. Your associates can go grab a drink in the bar. On me, of course. You heard Vinny, boys. Try not to break anything, all right? The gang laughed, and after a sordid series of winks and catcalls directed at Libby, they all went over to the Blue Ridge bar and disappeared inside. Libby took one last look at Vinny and grumbled under her breath before walking over to where Ares was leaning against one of the barricades, sharpening his knife. Vinny put his arm around the gang leader and led him over to his tent, lifting up the flap and escorting him inside. Walking around his desk and sitting down, Vinny reached into one of his drawers and pulled out a bottle of whiskey and poured two glasses before handing one over to his guest. There you go, Cyrus. <sighs> so, what the hell are you calling your crew nowadays? Much obliged. We're the Crimson Bloodhounds now. Ever since the claw bought it in with Toga, it's been every blood eagle for themselves. A real shit show. I heard Dagger was pulling the crews together up north. She was. I was there even. Then she decided to go ahead and get creative with this cute little redhead we caught. Wanted to put on a show. Uh, it was a show, all right. Little bitch slit Dagger's throat. Then all hell broke loose. No idea what happened. We and a few others managed to slip away. Been putting the pieces back together ever since. Hmm. Redhead, huh? Someone you know? Maybe. Eh, it doesn't matter. She's worm food now anyway. So, what's the deal? You didn't call us down here for our good looks. Got a job for you. Something special. I'm always interested in work. Uh, who do we get to kill? This ain't that kind of job. I need you to find someone and bring them back. Well, shit, Vinny. That doesn't sound hard. When I tell you who it is, you might change your tune. Vinny pulled out a manila folder he'd been given and passed it over to Cyrus. The raider boss smirked and opened the folder, and then his mouth dropped. No way. This ain't real, is it? <laughs> Funny. I think I said the same thing. Been told she's real enough, and that's who I need you to find. Antlers. You want us to find antlers. I thought she was a story, too. People seeing a woman jumping through the trees with a full set of rad stag antlers on her head. Sounds ridiculous. Even in this fucking wasteland. Ridiculous? Sounds like a fucking joke to me. Trust me, it ain't. That's why the job pays so well. You find her, and bring her back in one piece. Well, fuck, that's easier said than done. And if we're going on a snipe hunt, I expect upfront payment for the aggravation. Benny just smiled and turned around, unlocking his safe and taking something out. When he turned back, he tossed something into the raider's lap. Caught by surprise, Cyrus looked down to find a solid gold bar. He picked it up and turned it over. Sure as shit was gold, more than he'd ever seen in one place, by a wide margin. Jesus, you are fucking serious. Always. Now, that's just a down payment. There is more. A lot more. If and when you bring back antlers. Now, I know it ain't gonna be easy, but I got something that can help. Vinny had gotten a special delivery the day before from his friends with a set of instructions. He grabbed a box from under the desk and set it on the table before opening it and taking out a small electronic device. This here is a pheromone detector. 
It's extremely sensitive and can pick up a trail from a good distance away. All you have to do is get close, and this will lead you right to her. I also got a set of syringes set up for you. I need her alive. You got it? Cyrus alternated between the gold in his hand and the box on the table. He never put much stock in stories about weird hybrid creatures. But shit, if Vinny was going to pay him a king's ransom to try to find antlers, who was he to say no? Looks like I got plenty of reason to say yes. I knew I could count on you, Cyrus. Appalachia ain't small. We need to start someplace. Well, north of here. Near the edge of the Savage Divide. Fuck, we gotta travel through super mutant country. That's a losing proposition there, Vinny. I got you covered, Cyrus. Here's a map. This'll take you where you need to go and avoid any big green problems. You're shitting me, right? We go way back, Cyrus. I got friends in high places, okay? You stick to that map and you'll be fine. When have I ever steered you wrong? Cyrus thought about it for a minute. Vinny had been a friend of the Blood Eagles, making that first deal with the Claw to provide them with weapons, as long as they played nice and hit the odd caravan in Big Ben Tunnel to keep up appearances. If Vinny was willing to give them actual gold, and where the fuck did he manage to get it, then it was Cyrus's best interest to play ball, at least for now. It's a deal, but this is all bullshit. We'll be back, Vinny, and it won't be a social call either. Business is business, Cyrus. One last thing. Take this radio. Why? Nothing's been working for weeks now. This will. I got one just like it. You run into anything or find antlers, you let me know. Got it? Well, shit. I guess you do got friends in high places. Let me get back to the crew and we'll get on our way. After they have a little fun, that is. I need you and the gang to be clear-headed, Cyrus. No worries, Vinny. We'll be right as rain in no time, but the crew needs to blow off a little steam. We'll be out of your hair and heading north in a few hours. After shaking on the deal, Vinny watched Cyrus head over to the bar. When the door opened, Vinny could hear the uproarious laughter coming from inside. He shook his head. Raiders were always going to be raiders, but he knew Cyrus wasn't stupid. And if anyone could find antlers, it was Cyrus. The raider was the best tracker he knew, and Vinny wanted to keep his new friends happy. As to why his new friends wanted a woman with antlers, Vinny didn't care. Not as long as it put money in his pocket and kept the super mutants away. That, along with everything else, meant that this was a good day, and it was only going to get better. Once upon a time. 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now.
We need to do something. You want to get in between those two? Are you crazy? And they're moving too fast to be sure of a shot. Dr. Harefield and Sophia Daguerre could only watch as Lilith and Shadow slashed at each other with their wicked-looking blades, moving faster than either of the women had ever seen. Oh, I haven't had this much fun since I killed Beckett. You're all talk, Lilith. I'm going to enjoy stripping the skin from your corpse. Lilith just smiled and lunged again, ripping a tear in Shadow's uniform, but the big man was able to dodge aside at the last second, bringing his own bowie knife down across Lilith's arm, drawing blood. Ha! So you bleed red like the rest of us. Not so scary now, are you? Backing away and holding up her arm, Lilith licked the wound with her tongue, watching as the skin slowly knitted itself back together. <laughs> You're going to have to do a lot better than that, Shadow. And you haven't seen scary yet. The doctor and Sophia could only look on in horror and awe as the two combatants went back at each other. Shadow moved with a speed that belied his size, but Lilith met him blow for blow. It wasn't just knives or blades, but fists, kicks, and elbows. Neither one of them gave an inch, and soon blood began pooling on the ground at their feet. Lilith's talon-shaped blade ripped through Shadow's armor, leaving a long gash in his side, while Shadow cut across Lilith's stomach and arm, spraying blood onto the nearby rubble. Dr. Hirfield gasped as she watched Shadow's wound also begin to heal, until there was no sign he'd even been cut. That's not possible. Lilith didn't even react, instead letting her own wounds heal as she pressed harder and faster, swinging her blade like a sword while Shadow kept up with her, wincing as she cut deep again and again. Backing up half a step, Shadow fainted left and then swung right, catching Lilith across her face and sending her tumbling. Seeing his chance, Shadow moved like a blur, bringing the bowie knife down, slamming through Lilith's armor and abdomen, pinning her to the ground. Lilith screamed, not in pain, but furious anger as she grabbed Shadow by the throat and squeezed. Shadow grunted as Lilith's fingers felt like a vice, cutting off his ability to breathe. Using his fist, he punched her in the face over and over to get her to let go. Girls! The mutant hounds, reacting to their mother's command, pounced on Shadow, one bringing its teeth down on his arm while the other bit deeply into his side. Fucking hell! Using the momentary distraction, Lilith let go of Shadow's throat and threw her elbow against the side of his face, whipping his head to the side. Ignoring the pain, she reached down and grabbed the hilt of the bowie knife, yanking it out of her own stomach and jabbing it into Shadow, twisting it as it sank into his flesh. Shadow's reflexes still allowed him to roll away from Lilith, kicking the hounds off and rising again to his feet, pulling out the blade and hissing through clenched teeth. Lilith rose as well, holding her hand over a gaping wound in her stomach. The grin on her face was almost demonic, with blood-stained lips and hate flashing in her eyes. Looks like... I'm going to be the one stripping flesh today, Shadow. But at least you weren't boring. Lilith picked up her blade and started forward when a voice boomed across the scene. Halt! Stay where you are, or we will utilize lethal force. All eyes turned to see a Dominator-class Assaultron emerge from the rubble, deactivating its stealth boy field. Outside of the large Sentrybots, Assaultrons were considered the most dangerous class of pre-war military robots. The Dominator not only had the traditional head-mounted heavy laser, but it was also equipped with two retractable titanium swords, perfect for close combat, and a stealth board which rendered the bot nearly invisible. Sophia and Dr. Harefield watched as the Assaultron marched forward, swinging its head between Shadow and Lilith, before settling its gaze directly on Sophia. Commander Sophia Daguerre, you are to surrender immediately and return to the White Spring. I told Modus I would bring the little bitch back. 
I don't need backup. Oh, I don't like party crashers. Shadow, we calculate a 92.7% chance you will fail. You will stand aside, or you will be eliminated along with the others. You wouldn't fucking dare. Don't you know who I am? We are Modus. You are merely an expendable asset, and you have outlived your usefulness to us. The Assaultron's head laser powered up as it swung to face Shadow. The man scowled and gripped his knife in his hand, blood leaking between his fingers onto the ground. Sophie and Dr. Harefield exchanged glances with each other, then Harefield mouthed something to Lilith, who nodded. The laser spun up quickly, then everything happened all at once. Sophia rushed forward, tackling Shadow and knocking the man to the ground. Harefield, putting to use her skills as a former softball player, dropped to her knees to pick up a rock and hurl it powerfully at the Assaultron's head, knocking it just enough off its aim for the laser to flash harmlessly over their heads. Lilith extended her arm and threw her blade with all of her strength. Flipping end over end, the sharpened talon embedded itself directly through the Dominator's laser aperture, slicing through the control nodes and short-circuiting the positronic matrix. It was an electronic groan and a pop as the Assaultron's electronic brain fried itself. Then the bot toppled over, lifeless to the ground. I can't believe that fucking worked! Yay me! Sophia coughed and realized she was laying on top of Shadow. The man was staring at her, but not moving. The former astronaut rolled off of the big man, just as Dr. Harefield ran up with a syringe in her hand, jabbing it into Shadow's thigh and injecting it with something. What the hell? Shadow's eyes rolled back and he lay still on the ground. What did you give him, Naomi? Enough tranquilizer to knock out a Brahmin. He should be unconscious for at least a few hours, I think. Can I eat him now? Lilith, no. How about getting some rope? We need to talk to him. Are you sure that's a good idea? We can just leave him here and go, can't we? Modus just tried to kill him. Just like he would have killed you. Maybe that changes things. I don't know for sure, but we have to try. For Andrew's sake. I'd like to know why he smells funny. And heals like me. That is also a very good question. And the way he moves? He did things I didn't think were even possible. All the more reason to see if we can get some answers. We need to get out of here. We have no idea if Modus is sending other bots after us. Where can we go? There's an old raider camp not too far from here. Something something grindhouse, I think. Found some stingwings there. They're delicious. And it's nice and private. That's the best we got then. All right, let's get Shadow secure, but we still need to move him. <laughs> Leave that to me. Lilla found some thick rope and proceeded to bind Shadow's hands and feet. She took the opportunity to take a closer look at the man's wounds, nearly all of which had already closed up and showed little to no scarring. Lilith could tell by the man's smell that it wasn't FEV. Something else had given Shadow these abilities. The keen analytical mind people often overlooked was already considering different theories, and if Shadow decided not to be nice, then maybe she'd have a chance to dissect him and find out for sure. Once he was tied up, Lilith lifted Shadow up and threw him over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. All right, girls, let's go. The two mutant hounds bounded up next to Lilith and followed her as she started walking east, closely followed by both Sophia and Dr. Harefield, leaving the ruins of Charleston behind.
What the hell was that? Huh? What? Oh my god. Is that screaming? No, mistress. Not again. I'm too tired. Douglas, wake up. What? What? What's going on? Thomas! Come in, Thomas! Team Cryptid fumbled around in the dark, putting on clothes and looking out the various broken windows while Skinner attempted to get Captain Thomas on the radio. The screams had stopped and silence had returned to the area. Come in, Thomas! I'm here, Skinner. We heard screams. We've got a problem. Come over to the mine entrance. Bring your weapons, too. Weapons? What's wrong? Did he say bring our guns? There's something you need to see. Team Cryptid all exchanged worried looks. Not that they were novices when it came to fighting. There had been plenty of times when they put down their instruments and picked up combat rifles to fight off whatever strange creature they were investigating. But at least then, they had some idea of what they might be facing. Douglas, Emily, you're with me. Everyone else, post up and keep an eye on everything. Got it? There was a chorus of yes sirs as Skinner shouldered his rifle and jogged down the trailer to the corrugated metal frame over the mine entrance, followed by Emily and Douglas. The first thing they noticed was Thomas and two of his team members standing next to the rubble pile, and then they saw the blood. Oh, my God. Where's Nash? This is Nash. Or at least what we could find of him. Thomas, what happened? Thomas had been smoking a cigarette, staring down at a severed arm and a large pool of blood. He dropped the cigarette at his feet and crushed it under his boot. I don't know. We heard screams too. I was already coming down to check on Nash anyway. By the time I got here... All I found was this. Nothing else? There's a blood trail. Whatever attacked him dragged the rest of his body through the hole. See? Take a look. Thomas shined his flashlight into the opening. There was a long, bloody smear leading back into the darkness. I heard something. Just before you called on the radio. Sounded like scratching and then scream. It wasn't human. Not much I could tell. Skinner gazed off into the darkness of the mine. The whole passage was eerily silent with the exception of the slow drip of blood off the rocks. What do we do now? Yeah, Captain. What are your orders? Taking one last look, Skinner felt the hair on the back of his neck stand up. He felt like he was being watched, and he didn't like that. Not one bit. Thomas, get ready to move out. I don't think we're prepared for whatever this is. Agreed. Losing Nash is more than enough to convince me to get the hell out of here. Emily, Douglas... Skinner was interrupted by another one of Thomas's teams jogging into the building. Captain, we have a big problem. What is it, Phillips? Super mutants. A lot of them. And they're coming this way. How far? And from what direction? About half a mile. Maybe a little less. And we're surrounded, sir. I spotted groups converging from all directions. Have they spotted us? Do they know we're here? Don't think so. At least not yet. Appears they're keen on securing the area. Maybe they think the town is occupied? Smart super mutants? Damn it. I thought cryptids were dangerous, but this is far worse. Alright, we need to find a way out of here. You two, go with Phillips and find an escape route. Douglas, Emily, get the team ready to move out. Anything we can't carry, just leave it. The equipment isn't worth their lives, got it? Skinner could hear the distant call of mutant hounds, and they sounded like they were getting closer. The rest of the team was quickly grabbing whatever they could, mostly guns, ammo, and supplies. Emily was frantically downloading her data from the seismic sensors when Douglas ran by. Emily, just leave it. Maybe we'll be able to come back for it later. I need this data, Douglas. There's 
something moving down in that mine. Come on, it's not worth getting eaten over. Douglas grabbed Emily by the arm and pulled her outside where the rest of the team was gathered. They could all hear the mutant hounds now, coming from all directions around them. Thomas was rechecking the magazine in his rifle when Phillips and two other team members returned. The look on their faces told a grim story. It's real bad, Captain. I think those mutants can see in the dark a lot better than we can. They got hounds out sniffing and no way are we getting down the mountain without being spotted. Crap. What about up? Above us? Saw at least a dozen of them posted on the top of the mountain. They'll see us as soon as we move. We're trapped. Well, not quite. Thomas, your men just said we can't get down from here. Maybe not above ground. Are you crazy? You want to go down into the mine after what happened at Nash. What choice do we have? We don't have more than a couple heavy weapons. Not enough ammunition to face off against those super mutants. And I'm not saying we need to go too far. Just far enough so they can't find us. That hole isn't big enough for mutants, and maybe the blood will cover our scent anyway. Skinner looked at the bloody entrance to the mine and then back up to Thomas. They were backed into a corner, and either they faced the super mutants or the unknown. Neither choice was very appealing, but Thomas was right. They didn't have much of a choice. Ah, we've been dealt a shitty hand. All right, why don't you lead the way? I was afraid you were going to say that. Team, we're going in. Flashlights up front, and we shoot anything that moves. Got it? Thomas's team nodded, and Skinner watched them enter the mine entrance, guns at the ready. He turned and went out into the courtyard to deliver the bad news to the rest of Team Cryptid. How are we getting out of here, Skinner? Yeah, where did Thomas go? We're heading into the mine. What? You're joking, right? Tell me you're joking. I wish I was, Douglas. We have super mutants converging on us and we can't get down the mountain. At least not right now. This is a really bad idea. We know there's something down there. And it's not friendly. Not at all. You know that old saying? The devil you know. Well, in this case, that particular devil will definitely eat us. At least in the mine, we're facing the unknown. And remember, we are Team Cryptid. The unknown is our specialty. Is it too late for a transfer, Captain? Very funny, Douglas. Thomas and his team are going to run point. We need to secure a spot in that mine. We can wait out the super mutants, and if we're lucky, we'll find another exit. It's a long shot, I know, but we play the cards we're dealt. If I get killed, I'm going to come back and haunt you, Skinner. It's good to see you all have your sense of humor intact. Get moving. Those super mutants could be here any time. Team Cryptid moved with a purpose, carrying their weapons and supplies, enough food and water to last for several days, while leaving most of their technical gear behind. Nash's blood was more brown than red as each member stepped over the large stain and entered the mine. Team Sigma's flashlights could be seen further down, and Team Cryptid followed. As they crept forward, they passed the rest of the original cave-in, which had sealed the mine in the first place. After another 20 feet or so, the mine opened up, revealing the structural braces and the old mine cart tracks, and it also revealed more of the blood trail, showing where Nash's body had been dragged further into the depths of the mine. There was an awful, undefinable smell, a combination of rancid decay and sulfur permeating the air around them. Emily pressed a cloth over her mouth and nose, but it did little good. Despite this, the air was breathable, if not entirely healthy. The flashlights up ahead had stopped, and when Team Cryptid met up with Team Sigma, they found themselves in an old employee area, 
There were rows of lockers, a few desks and workbenches, with various boxes and crates scattered about. Thomas was slipping through another journal. Find anything? Earl Williams and his crew were here. Looks like a set camp for a few days. A few of them went off and explored further down into the mines. And Nash? More blood and some tracks. They look like Wendigo. Ah, shit. Exactly. I think we can hole up here for a while. There's only one tunnel heading down. We can cover that. As long as those super mutants don't decide to crash the party, we should be okay. Skinner knelt down and examined the tracks Thomas had found. Wendigos were bad news, almost as bad as an ornery super mutant. The mutated humans were related to ghouls, but were far more dangerous. The new enclave had several encounters with the creatures, and Team Cryptid had been studying their physiology to determine just what they were and where they might have come from. Stay sharp. Douglas! Yes, sir? Thomas found another journal. Since we're here and not going anywhere for a while, take a look and see if you might find some information in there regarding the mine. Maybe there's another way out of here we don't know about, but they did. Sure thing. As Team Cryptid got settled in, rummaging through lockers and checking the boxes, Skinner went forward to check the tunnel heading down. He didn't dare walk too far, but he could swear he heard something. A distant scratching sound that seemed to come from everywhere, and nowhere. It sent chills up his spine, and he quickly retreated back to the circle of light created by their flashlights. You can feel it too, right? Skinner just nodded. It didn't feel like they were in a mine, more like a tomb. But damned if he was going to make this one his. One way or the other, they were going to get out of there. Earthquake. You've got to be kidding me. Everyone, watch your heads! What started off as a slight tremor seemed to grow as the walls of the mine started to vibrate. Dust and debris fell from the ceiling, while the bracing timbers creaked under the strain. Unlike a regular earthquake, this one felt directional, like something was traveling beneath them. As it got closer, the tremors increased, until Skinner thought the whole mountain was going to fall down on their heads. There was a mighty crash as several old wooden beams collapsed, bringing down tons of rock into the mine shaft, right in between Team Cryptid and their exit. The team members didn't have time to react, as they had to dodge out of the way of smaller rocks and some boulders which fell from the ceiling, crushing some of the crates and destroying a set of lockers. The tremors seemed to go on forever, even if they only lasted a few minutes, but afterwards Team Cryptid was covered in layers of dust, with their flashlights barely piercing the swirling clouds of debris, subtly settling on the dirt floor. As they finally got back to their feet, Skinner and Thomas helped the others and surveyed the damage, before walking over to the collapsed tunnel behind them. I get the feeling someone upstairs doesn't like us very much. Huh, we aren't getting out this way, that's for sure. There goes plans A, B, and maybe C. There has to be another way out of here. Again, now we have less of a choice than we had before. No one is coming to save us, so we save ourselves. I'd say we've seen worse, but I'd be lying. But if some damn robotic sheep squatch thing couldn't kill me, I'd be damned if I die in some fucking mine. That's the spirit. Okay, let's get everyone together. Looks like we're heading down. And if there's a wind to go in there, we need to be ready for it. It was optimistic talk, but neither Skinner nor Thomas were sure as they sounded. They were now stuck in a cursed mine outside of a cursed town, trapped with one of the most dangerous creatures in Appalachia, without a ready means of escape. But this was Team Cryptid, and Team Cryptid didn't quit. As the two captains walked back into the gloom, deep in the bowels of Monaga Mine, something stirred, and it was so hungry. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Chris. And I'm not. We're not doing that routine right now. We're trying to do an advertisement. Oh, fine. I'm Sir Aloysius Pernicious, the better half of the team at One Wall Comedy. Okay, I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, come check us out on YouTube. We're your number one source for independent sketch comedy on the internet. Yeah, because that's such a big market. All right, come on. Let's get out of here. I'm getting paid for this, right? Don't push your luck. Leading Kate's Grindhouse, one of the old abandoned raider camps which still adorn parts of Appalachia, a monument to the days when David Thorpe's raiders controlled many parts of the region, only to fall before the tide of the scorched. This particular camp had been built in the middle of State Route 62, and was, of all things, an outdoor movie theater for raiders. They had a large screen erected on one side of the camp, with makeshift seating for the patrons. After the raiders had been wiped out, Stingwings, giant mutated insects had moved in, establishing their nests among the old raider fortifications. Lilith and her hounds had taken care of the Stingwings, which turned out to be particularly tasty when cooked and seasoned properly. Now she had returned with guests, Dr. Harefield and Sophia Daguerre, along with Shadow, who was either a guest or perhaps Lilith's next meal. The three women sat around a campfire, while Lilith's two mutant hounds were busy gnawing on old raider bones nearby. Shadow was still tied up and unconscious. I never trusted Modus. He was keeping tabs on my FEV research, accessing my data when he thought I wasn't looking. My examinations of Sophia never made sense. That's when I realized someone was tampered with my equipment, and only Modus can do that. And Andrew, Modus did something to him. I don't know what, but he could control him somehow, and he had headaches similar to mine. He did? He never said anything to me about them. He didn't, but he said he was going to talk to you several times. It sounds like the old man was just a puppet on strings. Like that old fairy tale. Ugh, what was it called? Pinocchio? Pinocchio. That's the one. Whatever happened, I'm not going to just leave him. We need to find Val, too. If something happened to her... I don't know, Lilith. She left with most of the field operatives, and from what all these refugees have been saying, something terrible has happened in the Divide. Speak of the devil. Look who's waking up. I want to talk to him. I'm going to be over your shoulder with my pistol, just in case. If he tries anything, I'm happy to rip his head off for you. I hope that won't be necessary, either of you. The three women walked over to where Shadow was. He opened his eyes and started to struggle, until he saw them. His mouth twisted into a sneer. Couldn't beat me in a fair fight, could ya? Well, go ahead. Get it over with. Lilith licked her lips, but Sophia took a step forward and knelt down in front of Shadow. We're not planning to kill you, Shadow. Modus just tried to kill all of us, you included. I think that might put us on the same side. Oh, come on. I'm so hungry, and I don't want to play nice. Lilith, he knows more about what's going on than we do. We should give him a chance. Oh, fine. But if he tries anything, I'm gonna eat him. Shadow looked at the three women, 
then thought back to the Assaultron that had been a hair's breadth from vaporizing him. You have no reason to trust me, and why should I trust you? Sophia reached back and pulled a knife from her pack, bringing it down on the ropes binding Shadow. What are you doing? Are you crazy? I'm taking a leap of faith. I hope it's not misplaced. Dr. Harefield pointed her pistol at Shadow's head as Sophia cut through the ropes, releasing him. Are you going to try to hurt us, Daniel? You heal pretty well, but medically speaking, I don't think you can heal from a bullet to the brain. Shadow cursed, then slowly rose to his feet, rubbing his wrists. He towered over the three women and tried to sort out what had just happened. His life in the vault had taught him to trust no one. He had been victimized, experimented on, and isolated just because he was different. The day he left Vault 76, he swore he would get back at those who had done him wrong. His unique background and knowledge led him straight to Modus at the White Spring Bunker. From the moment he arrived, he came to an understanding with the AI, both getting what they needed from the other. Shadow had worked behind the scenes to assist the AI in pursuing its own ends, a shared survival mechanism. While he admired the Colonel, it was Modus that promised him the revenge he sought against those who had wronged him in Vault 76. It was also Modus who had given him the enhancements and which had made him what he was, utilizing the remaining mutagen serums left by the former residents of the bunker. Those serums had granted Shadow enhanced reflexes, speed, strength, and a healing factor on par with what FEV had done for Lilith. It was these gifts which had allowed Shadow to overcome the challenges in Silo Charlie to launch the nuke which helped end the threat of the Scorched. At the same time, however, the other members of Team Omega had seen what Shadow could do, and so became liabilities which required elimination. It hadn't been without some regret, but he needed to maintain his cover. After killing the other operatives, Shadow managed the stage performance of injuring himself in a way which backed up his story of what had happened. Afterwards, Shadow had followed Modus's plan to the letter, making sure Major Stein stumbled upon the astronaut, then securing Dr. Emerson for his research, bringing Reynolds into the fold to cover the equipment and personnel transfers necessary to make Project Somnus and Deep Sleep a reality had been distasteful, but required. He, like Emerson, had just been a means to an end. And now Shadow had begun to realize that he himself was just another means to Modus's ends, and that was not acceptable. Not now, and not ever. Are you going to answer me, Daniel, or should we just kill you? Oh, please, let me have him. Give him a minute longer. This is a lot. Looking at Sophia, the woman he'd come to bring back to the White Spring, probably to be dissected and killed, and also somehow the same woman who had just saved his life, Shadow finally spoke. You could have let that Assaultron kill me, but you didn't. Why? Because it's wrong. You have no idea who I am or what I've done. We've all done things we're not proud of, Shadow. Speak for yourself. Lilith, please. One way or the other, we're going to stop Modus. He's doing terrible things, and I'm going to find Andrew and get him back. Now, you're free to go. Do what you want to do and try to survive. Or you can help us. You know what he's up to and maybe how to stop it. Lilith was pouting in the background, but Sophia was sincere. Despite everything, she knew the only way she was going to get back to Andrew was with help, and a lot of it. And maybe, just maybe, Shadow would be the key. The big man considered his options, and there weren't many. If he just left, he would probably never get the opportunity to set things right and avenge what they had done to him. Of course, if he helped Sophia, they'd all probably die taking on Modus and the others. However, there was always a chance. And what did he really have to lose anyway? 
You saved my life. That means I owe you. But if you think you can just waltz back into the bunker... We're not heading back. Not yet. You have a plan? We have a lead, actually. There's a USSA assault run at Sugar Grove. We think it might have some information on Modus's plan and how to reverse the process. Sugar Grove. Damn if I didn't underestimate you. We moved most of the Somnus equipment to the bunker, but we left all the data and something called Athena behind. We were supposed to go back and collect everything, but the super mutants put that on hold. If we can get there and retrieve the data, talk to Athena, maybe even find the Colonel let her know what's happening. That's a lot of ifs, and we don't know where the Colonel is. We're going to find her too. That's a tall order. Though Modus did seem to have an idea of where she might be. Don't know how though. However, I might have an idea or two on how we could tap into that information. Oh, that sounds interesting. And if it helps me find Val, that's definitely not boring. We need to get to Sugar Grove first. Fine, fine, potatoes, potatoes. Me and the girls will help get you where you need to go. But then we're going to find Val. That's the deal. Got it? Absolutely. We're going to need her anyway, right? Agreed. Looks like it's time for a walkabout. Luckily for all of you, I know a few ways to get into the Divide without those super mutants finding us. And where we can get supplies along the way. Oh, goody. I wouldn't mind some super mutants, too. I'm sure we'll find plenty to eat on the way, Lilith. We should get moving. That Assaultron might not be the only bot Modus sent after us. I have a safe house a few hours west of here. We can get there before dark, and then we can talk about next steps. Shadow, I'll be watching you. I still haven't decided not to eat you yet. <laughs> and I haven't decided not to skin you alive. How about this? After all this is over, you and I can figure it out. Preferably over a few pints. It's a deal, Shadow. Now, girls, this big guy is our friend. For now. So no nibbling, okay? The two mutant hounds yipped in agreement while Sophia went over and picked up Shadow's knife from the ground and handed it back to him. Here. Thank you, Shadow. Don't thank me yet. You have no idea the mess we're about to step into. But better late than never to get started. The four of them gathered up their gear, bandaged wounds as needed, and started walking west. With a touch of irony, they passed by Riverside Manor. Sophia looked at the old mansion and felt a twinge of regret. She tried to put it out of her mind and instead found herself thinking of Andrew. I love you, Andrew. You saved me, and I'm going to return the favor if it's the last thing I do. famous pumpkin house was still open for business. Sort of. For decades, the roadside attraction had the most carved pumpkins you would find anywhere. Hundreds of them adorned almost every square inch of the sidewalks, walkways, and front porch of the old home. Every year around Halloween, thousands of tourists would flock to the location to witness what new and elaborate pieces would be on display. 
Once automation took over, it was the handybots doing the carving, with some very interesting results, but it at least allowed the owners to keep going, even as the regional economy suffered through years of hardship. Even after the bombs dropped, the bots kept up their work. Their programming wouldn't have allowed them to do otherwise. Tourists were replaced by raiders, who still marveled at the pumpkin displays, even as they scavenged for scrap and looted settlers in the area, who in turn were replaced by the scorched, emerging from nearby fisher sites, who paid no mind to the bots carrying on with their carving, year after year. Finally, there was but a single Mr. Handy left, named Jack, who worked tirelessly to replace rotted pumpkins with new ones, day after day. Fields of pumpkins still grew behind the house, providing fodder for the attraction. And while the house itself was slowly deteriorating without repairs or upkeep, freshly carved pumpkins were always on display. On this particularly rainy day, as storm clouds passed overhead, Jack was still busy in the workshop, carving a new set of pumpkins, while a group of travelers took refuge in the old house, waiting for the rain to pass. It may be raining, darling, but this is still a sight better than dealing with that damn mire. You didn't get the chance to see the best parts of it. Best parts? Y'all mean there's some place over there that isn't full of those damn vines and things trying to eat ya? It's really not as bad as it looks, Red. We made some friends with some mega sauce a while back. They may look all big and scary. They're actually very cuddly once you get to know them. Mega sloss, huh? Sounds like something I ran into. Big furry thing with claws and, like, mushrooms growing on them? That's the one. They move pretty slow, unless they get spooked. I saw one pick up an angler that got too close to its babies and toss it like it was nothing. The big bad beastie got the point and headed elsewhere, worse for the wear. The one I saw done saved my butt from some glowy ghoul thingy with nasty claws and teeth. A wendigo. Ugh. They are dangerous. No making friends there. We stay as far away from them as we can. I still haven't quite figured out what they are. Maybe some kind of feral ghoul or something, but much more intelligent, which is terrifying. Appalachia gotta be the worst of the worst when it comes to monsters. Back in the hills, we had some strange creatures to deal with, but nothing like this. We've gotten used to it. I tell you, those first few months out of the vault were scary. The scorcher bad enough, and then everything else wasn't until I found antlers and really started to get to know the creatures that I figured things out. Folks seem to only want to kill and destroy what they don't understand. Which is why I'm different. I'm still working on the understanding part, darling. Take your time. You'll get it. How are you feeling today? Still getting used to all these extras. I don't mind the hood, but these horns itch like the dickens sometimes. This tail ain't so bad, though I'm still trying to figure out the best way to sit. Where it ain't sticking me in the behind all the time. You should have seen antlers at first. I found her trapped after she tried to put on her shirt. I had to cut it off of her, because it got wrapped around her antlers. And don't get me started on her trying to get through doors. <laughs> I can't even imagine, darling. She figured it all out eventually. Good thing I know how to sew. Seems like I'm always adjusting things. And she always brings back new things to wear from wherever she wanders off to. Speaking of wandering off, Shouldn't she be back by now? Soon. She doesn't like the rain either. I expect she found a place to hole up until it passes. I'll admit, she's given me more than a few sleepless nights, worrying about where she was. But I've learned to give her a space. She's like a force of nature. She goes where she wants to go. And the people that were chasing her? The people that were following me? I still worry, now more than ever, about that. Hard me to hope that they'd gone away, but after what happened to you... And they still know the antlers is out there. Well, this here backwoods gal has a bone to pick with them. When I get my hands on Vinny... I'd love to find out more about those mutagen serums. 
And who knows, maybe I can even find a way to reverse the effects. Now that's something I hadn't thought of. You mean, you might be able to change me back? Don't get your hopes up, Red. I have no idea. Hope is what I got, darling. Hope that one day I can go home again and make things right by my kin. And you're right. I'm still me. Stubborn as hell and tough as nails. <laughs> Based on what I've seen, Red, nobody should be getting between you and where you're going. Ever. Thanks, darling. Oh, looks like the rain stopped. Look at that. It did. Well, no reason not to get back on the road. Antlers can probably smell us a few miles away. And knowing her, she's probably finding all kinds of new and interesting things to take photographs of. Red and Cherry grabbed their packs and walked out onto the front porch of the pumpkin house. Jack was putting the finishing touches on a new display when he noticed them. Thank you again for visiting the world-famous pumpkin house. I hope you enjoyed your stay. Might a fine place you got here, Jack. Thank you kindly for your hospitality. Our pleasure. And remember, come back for our special Halloween surprise. The two women nodded and left Jack to his pumpkins, ending up back on State Route 63. According to the old maps, the road went south and west, allowing them to skirt the worst areas of super mutant activity. At least that was the plan. Red adjusted her hood, just in case they ran into any scavengers or other people along the way. Seeing her horns could provoke a lot of different reactions, and none of them were probably good ones. Maybe it was the one good thing about the super mutant problem. It gave people something more important to worry about than a couple of scavers trying to make their own way through Appalachia. They walked south for about an hour, skirting past wrecked vehicles and abandoned raider roadblocks until Red spotted something in the distance. Hold up a sec. Looks like trouble. Cherry and Red hid behind an old Morgantown High School school bus, and Red took out a pair of binoculars, looking down the road. Well, shit. We have a problem. What do you see, Red? Super mutants. This far north? That's a bad sign. Where the hell they come from? Don't think it matters none. We gotta figure out a way past them. We go up into the hills over here. Ground isn't great, but better than dealing with the big greenies, right? Red smirked and followed Cherry as she crept across the road and into the trees on the far side. Soon they were on top of a series of small hills that ran parallel to the road. Should be okay up here. We're also downwind, so if they have any mutant hounds, they shouldn't smell us either. Lucky us. They're all bad, you know. Super mutants? They ate my ex, and by what people have been saying, they're on a warpath killing everything in sight. You just haven't met the right ones, I guess. <laughs> now you're talking crazy there, darling. It's not all crazy. Well, not any more crazy than anything else around here. One day Antlers came back home dragging the super mutant with her. It didn't try to kill her? Nope. All he wanted to do was trade. Had this really cute Brahmin with him, too. Called it Chally. This super mutant have a name, too? Went by Graham. He was really super nice. He had a lot of good stuff to trade, too. Even film for Antler's camera. He took caps and a few things that I had lying around. All in all, it was a pretty fair deal. He even stopped by from time to time after. Maybe not the best conversationalist, but boy does he know how to cook. A super mutant trader. Well, doesn't that beat all? You should know not to judge a book by its cover, Red. Damn if I ain't relearning that particular lesson there, darling. Hey, do you smell that? Smell what, Red? Like some fancy perfume. No, wait, that ain't it. It's... Incense. Oh shit, we gotta get out of here. Before Red could even ask, she could hear the sound of multiple guns being cocked, followed by figures emerging from the trees surrounding them. 
Who dares defile the Holy Land? It's the cult. They must serve the Dim Ones. They must die. Children, the Enlightened One has yet to speak. We will stay the hand of vengeance until we have been given the sign. While Cherry and Red slowly put up their hands as members of the Mothman cult clustered around them. Each of them was wearing different types of robes, some knotted together with vines, while others were wearing hoods that covered their heads. We followers of the Enlightened One, our most holy Mothman, do not know you. Strangers are not welcome on our lands. Do you parlay with the Dim Ones? Mister, I'm afraid I have no idea what you're saying. Me and my friend here are just passing through to Point South. To go south is death. The Dim Ones have spilled out onto our holy ground and brought foul beasts with them. Our holy Mothman heeds us to take care and fight the Dim Ones to remove them from our midst. But they are endless as the grains of sand or stars in the heavens. Super mutants. You mean the super mutants, right? They are servants of the Dim Ones. They do not know our enlightened ways. We're definitely not with them. Like my friend said, we're just passing through, and we'd be happy to let you be. We must consult the Holy Mothman. He will decide your fate. To set foot on his soil is to give yourself to his will. Now you see here. Red, just do what he says. It will be okay. Trust in the Enlightened One. If you are truly innocent, he will pass his mercy unto you. Hmm. <laughs> Fuck me. Just when things were looking up. The cultists weren't rough, but they didn't take it easy either. They took all of Red's and Cherry's weapons and packs while prodding them further into the woods. The group walked for about an hour until they arrived at the cultist camp. It appeared to have grown right out of the earth. Twisted trees and large bones formed into a circle, with torches and a large bonfire in the middle. The smell of burning incense was nearly overwhelming, and more cultists were gathered around the fire, praying in some incomprehensible language. On one side of the compound was a blood-stained altar with bones piled on both sides. Red and Cherry were pushed towards the center, near the big fire. Finally, the other cultists stopped praying and rose to their feet, each staring at their new arrivals. Brothers and sisters, our holy Mothman is pleased by your devotion in these dark times. The Dim Ones seek to destroy us, yet we stand under the watchful eyes of our Enlightened One. Praise be to the Holy Mothman! Praise Praise be be to the Holy Mothman! We have brought two for judgment. It is for our Holy Mothman to look upon them and see into their hearts. Praise Praise be be to the Holy Mothman! Bring them to the altar! The cultists grabbed both Red and Cherry and pushed them forward. Neither was keen on the idea of judgment or whatever might happen if they were not found worthy. But with two dozen heavily armed men and women surrounding them, what else could they do? You know this could be really, really bad, right? Yeah, I got that. Don't do anything stupid. Maybe we could talk our way out of this. The altar had been carved out of an enormous tree trunk, with two huge eyes stained red with blood gazing outward. The cult leader walked up front of the altar and took out a large knife, while Red and Cherry were pushed down to their knees in front of him. Blessed Mothman, look down upon your servants and grant us your divine light. We require your judgment on these trespassers. If they are found unworthy, we will sacrifice them to you. What the bullshit is this? Sacrifice us? Shh, I'm sure it will be okay. 
The leader raised his hands to the sky as the cultists around them started chanting. The smoke from the fires billowed upwards, and Red could swear she heard something moving in the trees above them. Aha! He is with us! There was a flash of movement and a burst of black smoke, and suddenly something was with them. Red looked up, and sitting perched on a large log was an almost indescribable figure. It appeared to be some kind of giant insect, surrounded by billowing black smoke or mist with massive red eyes. The chittering of its many appendages sounded like the cicadas Red used to hear back in Tennessee, only much louder. What the hell is that thing? It must be the moth. I never thought it was real. Blessed Mothman, what is your divine judgment? The creature's body swayed from side to side, as if it was looking down at both Red and Cherry. Then there was a loud swooshing sound as the Mothman extended its wings and disappeared in a puff of smoke. The Divine One has spoken! Prepare them for sacrifice! Before Cherry or Red could react, two cultists grabbed their shoulders and held them down as the leader stepped up over Red and raised his knife. No way in hell are you sacrificing me! The leader grabbed Red's hood and threw it back, intending to slit her throat. But his eyes widened in shock, dropping the knife at the same time the cultists released the two women and stepped back. Red didn't hesitate. She scooped up the knife from the ground, grabbed the leader around the waist, and pressed the knife against his throat. Now, you're gonna let me and my friend go. Get it? My most sincere apologies. Uh, we, we did not know you were one of the touched ones. If we had, we would have treated you as the honored guest you are. Honored guest? Touched. Just what are you saying? think it's your horns, Red. We only know of one other who is touched as you. The one who resides in the trees. She's also an honored one among us. If my blood is required to make this right, then may you take my life so I may join the divine light. Oh crap, mister. If you're done with the sacrifice talk, I ain't gonna kill ya. I'd rather you just let us go and be done with it. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, the Touched One has granted mercy. The Divine One truly works in mysterious ways. Praise be to the Lord. Red the knife and let the leader go. The change in attitude of the cultists was remarkable, as both Cherry and Red were suddenly hailed as the honored guests of the cult. A variety of spirits appeared out of nowhere, and plates of food were passed around as the cult leader led the two women to the large tent, surrounded by carved effigies of the Mothman. My sisters. It is indeed a strange and wonderful day. Your appearance here has heartened us, truly. Mr. I am called Reverend Paul. However, as our honored guests, you may address me as Paul. Well then, Paul, you said you knew someone else like Red? Ah, Red, just as the eyes of our holy Mothman. This was truly meant to be. And I am Cherry, which is also red. Just saying. The wonders will never cease. Perhaps our future is not as dim as I had suspected. But as to your question, yes, we know the one who resides in the trees. She is known to all who worship the divine light. She does not speak, but she has graced our presence and captured our likeness with brilliant flashes of light. She took your picture. Very much so. Antlers work in mysterious ways. 
Antlers? The one who resides in the trees also possesses antlers. Well, Paul, they are one and the same. In fact, she's a friend of ours, and she's probably looking for us. Blessed be! This day will forever be recorded in the annals of our church when we were granted a bountiful harvest of tidings. I'm glad you're so happy, but me and Cherry, we'll need to get a move on. Got places to be. We spoke truth when we said South is death. The Earth has vomited forth the filth that is the dim ones and their foul beasts. I myself witnessed a giant metal dragon pierce the ground and disgorge a host of those green monstrosities. They ventured in the direction of Mononga, that accursed place. Metal dragon. I was reminded of the drills once used to tear and rape the land before the judgment of the fire, when Appalachia was covered in ash and soot from the great mines. Damn. And here I thought this was strange. But like I said, we still gotta go. As is the way of the touched. There is a reckoning coming. The Divine One has shown us the way. We now count you among the friends of the Blessed Mothman. And your name will be spread from mouth to ear until all know of you. We are at your call, Red of the Touched. May your path be straight and true in the light of the holy. Cherry leaned over and whispered into Red's ear. See, told you so. Still mighty close to be getting us killed, darling. Cherry just laughed. The cultists returned their belongings, and after a small ceremony blessing the two travelers, Red and Cherry bid the cult farewell. As a final gift, Reverend Paul had annotated Red's map, adding the known location of supermutants, along with several spots where the cult had hidden supplies, just in case they were needed. As the cultist compound receded behind them, Red pulled the hood back over her head. She may not have gotten used to her extras yet, but damned if it hadn't saved their lives. Maybe they ain't so bad after all. As they walked, Red thought she smelled something else, something familiar. Her senses were different than they had been before the change, and it still required a bit of getting used to. It took a minute, but she finally figured it out, just as she heard more rustling in the trees. Red was just about to say something when Antlers dropped down in front of them, carrying a backpack full of supplies and a big smile on her face. Antlers! She's definitely the one and only. Antlers dropped the pack and gave both women a big hug. Then she made some gestures with her hands. Where have we been? Oh, that's a long story. Why don't we find some place safe to camp? Because it's a really long story and I definitely need a drink. Antlers had a very confused look on her face as both Red and Cherry started laughing. As the three women continued their walk south, storm clouds continued to gather on the horizon. Hi, I'm Fire Rider, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts.
Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe, and better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on our various social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky, at Modus Files, or at Modus Files Podcast, for more information about our story, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the Enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, Lucy Middleton as Major Lilith, Chrissy Williams as Trader Red, the Assaultron, and Researcher Emily, Jessica Starr as Commander Sophia Daguerre, Aaron Foster as Captain Thomas, Eric Gold as Private Douglas and Grey Commander, Aaron McNamara as Dr. Naomi Harefield, Chris Smith from One Wall Comedy as Graham, Sergeant Blaine, Private Phillips, Vinny Costas, Ares, and Reverend Paul, Tim Young as Sullivan, Mark Hosworth as Bitter, Josh Smith as Captain Skinner and Grey Nine, Casual Lacorset as Corporal Samantha and Libby, Cherry Pixel as Cherry, Daniel Hawthorne as Lieutenant Shadow, Patrick Conway as Frederick Rivers, Rob Cunningham as Murmurger and the Mole Miners, Steve Lungberg as Raider Boss Cyrus, Ray O'Hare as Mr. Handybot Jack, DJ Reed as Brother Martin, Amanda Lee as Sister Lola, and Brad Williams as the voice of Modus. As our third season continues, we'd like to give a huge shout out to our fellow creators, the Chad Podcast, Tapes from the Waste, Once Upon a Wasteland, and a host of artists who continue to provide us with the wonderful artwork you can find on our website. A very special thank you to Nobody, our very first commissioned artist who is working on updated portraits of our main cast. Stay tuned for our next episode, The Long Way Down. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little enclave. <laughs>